We return this morning to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, for the second of three times. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord bidden him, and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we are glad to return to the testimony of our text concerning the genesis of Jesus the Christ. We understand, by your grace, a truth most profound, that in the person of Jesus the Christ, you as God, God the Son particularly, became a man for the saving of mankind. In all our wildest of imaginations, we could have not come up with such a scenario that would have led to the securing of the soul. But this is the great and marvelous thing that you have done for us in Christ. And again this morning, even as we press the levels of our understanding, we are indeed expressing to you our thanksgiving. But help us now as we return to the study. Help us to see something in the life of this man named Joseph, whom you used in such a marvelous way. And help us as we enter into his testimony to think about our own. And for that, we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. In the classic children's story, Goldilocks and the Three Barriers, Goldilocks found that the big bowl of porridge by the big chair of Papa Bear to be too hot. She then found that the medium-sized bowl of porridge by the medium-sized chair of Mama Bear to be too cold. And then she found the little bowl of Baby Bear to be just right. Last week we introduced you to just right Joseph. He was not too cold in the truth, nor too hot in grace, but just right in the balance of truth and grace before God when facing a horrible family circumstance. Matthew 
is prompted of the Holy Spirit to bring focus and attention upon that humble man, that legal husband to Mary, that would come to believe the impossible and would lead a blended family with an oldest son, not his own. Matthew brings us the genesis of Jesus from the perspective of Joseph. Matthew confirms that any real sense of God's triumphant achievement in this moment of time was lost on Joseph at the first. God had done an amazing thing, and it caused Joseph, bless his pea pick and heart, tremendous consternation. There had been no sin or violation of marriage even though Joseph thought for a time that indeed there had been and that his plans and his work towards having his own home had been indeed completely wrecked by an unfaithful mate. Last week we developed three of the seven things this passage tells us about Joseph. We looked at Joseph's honorable commitment we know little detail of Joseph's life other than what the Bible tells us of here. We can say with certainty that during the period of betrothal, he was faithfully committed to work, and he was faithfully committed to wait, and that righteously. We also talked about Joseph's holy character. The word just is a word that otherwise is translated righteous. And uh, just is the word for Old Testament saints. It speaks of people with a heart for God. It speaks of people that are faithful to live in obedience uh, to the word of God. And last week I gave you kind of a, uh, of a nuanced sentence uh, to kind of put us in the zone of, of consideration about Joseph. And I said, just Joe wasn't just Joe, but just Joe. That would be the point of the Holy Spirit in the passage, that just Joe wasn't just Joe, but just Joe. And, of course, we play off the words just there, both as an adjective and an adverb. Some of you that have that English grammar thing going on, uh, may the Lord condemn you. No, may the Lord uh, uh, commend you righteously and all that. We also began to talk about Joseph's horrible conflict. Joseph appears to have lived an extended number of days with the thought that Mary was unfaithful and, under the law, guilty of adultery. His uninformed thinking about the matter is reflected in verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately or privately or secretly, if you will. We are told that Joseph did not have a heart to take revenge on his mate. We are told that Joseph did not have a heart to shame Mary publicly, we saw in uninformed Joseph something of the two qualities that we know to come to their absolute zenith 
in the person of Jesus Christ, namely truth and grace. How marvelous of God the Father to create circumstances on the earth so that the stepdad of God the Son would be a man with a reputation in truth and grace. Although not perfectly, he was indeed uniquely fitted by God the Father, enabled by God the Spirit to be a good fatherly example to God the Son while a boy. That just absolutely blows my mind. How wonderful, how glorious, how awesome is our God. What great things he has done. This morning we pick up on our study of Joseph with number four, and we speak of his heavenly clarification. I'm talking about verse 20. But while he, Joseph, thought on these things, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. The agony in both Joseph and Mary as a committed couple during the period of suspicion and heartbreak is by and large unstated, but by no means unavailable to our senses. The Bible confirms that it was very tough for Joseph, whose world had been turned upside down by the announcement that Mary was pregnant. And we can say that it was tough for Mary to be held in suspicion of infidelity, even at the first, by her own husband. The rumor mill of suspicion continued until the death of Joseph, and beyond that, beyond to the death of Jesus for our sins, and beyond that, until the death of Mary in the first century, and beyond that, even unto our own day. It is not unusual at all in our own day to read liberal writers commenting on biblical truths to talk about the ridiculousness of a virgin birth, and that somehow, some way, some man and Mary had had some uh, uh, encounter as strangers in the night. And yet what the Bible asks us here to believe, we must not deny, for the totality of our understanding of salvation depends upon what we're told here in the biblical record. This past week, I've had a, a unique number of moments uh, letting my mind return again and again to a single word in verse 20, but while Joseph thought on these things. That word thought is very interesting. Uh, it is the word at root that has to do with passion. 
and it has a prefix and a suffix attached to it so that we can righteously associate it with a cycling passion or a revolving thought in mind. Furthermore, grammatically, it is a participle, an aorist participle, and therefore it gives the indication that Joseph thought about this thing, and then he thought about this thing, and then he thought about this thing, and then he thought about this thing. But one of the most interesting things about the grammar is that it's passive, not active, meaning that Joseph is not trying to think about the thing. He is probably trying to forget about the thing. But the thing will not let go of Joseph's mind. Now listen to me. Here's an adult man who has something on his brain that will not let him go. And it leaves and it comes back. And it leaves and it comes back. And it leaves and it comes back. Ever have a night like that? Now, the amazing thing is, some of you know that I have a vice, and my vice is Southern Gospel music. And this past week, while I'm thinking about this word, about the cycling of the mind in the midst of the night, the cycling of the mind in the midst of the night, how that Joseph isn't trying to think about his horrible circumstances and Mary's pregnancy, and how in the world did that happen? But as he's engaged in this cycle of thought and thought and thought, as he relates to the context of the night, uh, that uh, this past week, as I'm thinking about that, I'm also listening to the words of a, uh, a southern song that says this, I am waiting for God's whisper in this night. I am depending on his word. To give me light. I am expecting a victory in this life. I am listening for God's whisper in this night. And as I thought about the word thought in verse 20, and then I thought about that, that expression of the southern song, I couldn't help but think about Joseph at a given point in time uh, laying in his bed alone and waiting upon God for some word of direction, depending upon God's word for light, expecting that the God of deliverance would somehow bring relief to his soul, and listening, oh, ever listening to anything that he might be able to associate with God's direction in the context of his life. And while Joseph's mind raced without him being a willing driver over an apparent violation of trust, a violation of trust that he had established with Mary, his honey. He, in that moment of time, received of the Lord an angelic visit 
by way of revelatory vision. And uh, the thing that I thought of this past week then was a TV commercial. Oh, what a relief it is <laughs> once the angel brings his word of heavenly clarification. The very same angel that had first appeared to Mary sometime before announcing that what was about to happen, uh, whether that communication that came to Mary was fully shared with Joseph or not, I cannot tell. But surely the report of it, even if he had had it, uh, in some sense of completeness from Mary's mouth, uh, would have struck him, I'm sure, the report of it would have struck him, I'm sure, as being rather nuts. Joseph's relief by way of angel, as recorded here, is a matter of direct connection to our redemption. For an unholy Jesus cannot produce a holy people for a thrice holy God. Why is the doctrine of virgin birth so crucial to our understanding of gospel preached? Well, an unholy Jesus cannot produce a holy people for a thrice holy God. And so, oh, what a relief this was. What a blessed relief it was to have his haranguing thoughts interrupted by angelic clarification. The angel gives to Joseph the what of it. The angel gives to Joseph the why of it. The angel even gives to Joseph the how of it. The, Joseph is told that God is doing something very unique at that very time and in his own personal situation. The angel tells Joseph exactly what he is to do next. Go get Mary. Here's what you do, sir. Go get Mary. Here's what you do. Go get Mary. That's what he's told to do. It's so helpful when a man finally knows what he is supposed to do. And I'm sure that was relieving. Go get Mary. Take her home with you as planned. For your circumstances, so said the angel to Joseph in a dream, is a direct result of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, as important as it is for us to note Joseph's relief. It is far more important for us to note Joseph's belief. For relief is good, but belief is great. Faith, the faith of a man, is placed on display before us in this text. Joseph's faith in the word of the angel depended upon his understanding of God's promise and Old Testament promises, or I should say prophecies, flowing out of the Hebrew Scriptures, flowing out of what you and I would call the Old Testament. Had Joseph not believed in God's word as revealed in the Hebrew Scriptures, he could have quite easily written off the angelic vision as stress-induced hallucination. You thought you met who in the middle of the night? An angel. Oh, yeah. Right. I met an angel last night. 
I don't know if it was the pepperoni. I don't know what it was that caused such a consternation of my body and my mind, but it would be quite easy to write off the entire communication of the angel in a dream had it not been for Joseph's prior commitment to the scriptures. And if you want good feelings of Christ, you better be Bible-based. Because biblical facts of necessity precede good biblical feelings. So many people have gone amiss because they live by how they feel. And on that basis, there are some of you this morning that are to be commended because upon first sight of morning light, you didn't feel like coming. God bless you for being here. And on the other side of the coin, there are unlikely are some who have given into that thought today and are not here for the benefit of the word of God sung, the benefit of the word of God read, the benefit of the word of God preached, because they have given over to living by how they feel. Listen to me. There comes a point in time in life, a certain age, when if you do what you, want, you just feel like doing, you won't do anything at all. Many persons' thoughts of salvation, just like J Joseph's thought of an angel in the middle of the night, are easily reduced after a period of time to stress-related hallucination. What did I just say? There's a reason why so many five-year-old Baptist children no longer believe in Jesus. There's a reason why they believe that maybe when they were a kid, they were put under pressure. And they opened their heart to the Lord. And now they don't even believe in God. There's a reason for hallucination of the spiritual kind. Why? Because hallucination is easy in life if it's detached from the B-I-B-L-E. The only thing that brings assurance of the phenomenal things that God has done for people is going to come through the B-I-B-L-E. And thereby people that are not grounded in the scriptures are going to have feelings that dictate their life to the realm of stress-related hallucinations. It is so easy just to write off spiritual life as a nothing that took place in a life long time past when the emotions were uniquely, uniquely stirred and that uh, uh, the heart was, uh, and mind was maybe uh, particularly uninformed or weak. Listen, if you don't want to have your salvation come in doubt, then you better stay connected to the Bible. The only way for Joseph to receive the additional revelation of the angel in the middle of the night was because of his grounding in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Hebrew Scriptures' promises of Messiah, in the Hebrew Scriptures' prophecies of Messiah. And when the angel said, that which is going to be born of here is of the Holy Ghost, Joseph knew he was talking about Messiah. The angel word leaves no room for misunderstanding. The child conceived in Mary's womb is the supernatural result of the Holy Spirit's creative power. God has made his man. God has made himself.
a man. Number five, Joseph's hallowed commission. The male child to be born is to be named after his father. The father's name is Yahweh. The name Yeshua, in English, Jesus, is a form of the personalized name for God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. The Hebrew name Jehoshua, translated in our English text, Joshua, most literally translate Yahweh slaves or saving Yahweh. And so in this entitlement, thou shalt call the name of the child Jesus. The name of this child is saving Yahweh. This is Yahweh who saves. The logic and rationale of the angelic communication is that this child is the one on a hallowed mission of deliverance right out of heaven. Verse 21 also reminds us of God's new covenant promise to deal with the sins of God's chosen people. Look at again in verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, not a daughter. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, Yahweh saves. For he shall save his people from their sins. That is a direct statement that connects back to God's new covenant promise, Jeremiah 32, 33. This child is God's saving solution for his people sold under the bondage of their own sins. In verse 22, we are reminded by Matthew that this turn of events was indeed contrived by God the Father and revealed to Isaiah the prophet 700 years before the historical event as recorded in our text. God the Father contrived this. Again, 22, all this was done that it might be spoken, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. That reference of Isaiah 7, verse 14 and verse 23, is telling us that this is the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy. When I preached the Isaiah passage previously to you a number of years ago during the holiday period, uh, I preached that uh, uh, this idea of salvation uh, is an act of God's mercy contrived by God the Father, conceived as God the Son, and ultimately come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. My outline on that holiday season was mercy contrived, mercy conceived, mercy come. And here you have in Isaiah uh, that prophecy, and in Matthew 1, the fulfillment of that great uh, reality of promise wrapped up in the name Emmanuel, being interpreted God with us. Now, I'm going to come back to that next week. In fact, next week I'll be preaching Matthew, but actually just reading those verses and then preaching Isaiah 7 so that we can see the context of that prophecy and fulfillment before we move on to chapter 2. 
But for this morning, we'll leave it right there uh, in regards to the fact that mercy, the mercy of our salvation, was contrived in the mind of God the Father in eternity past. It was conceived in the womb of Mary in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mercy come in Christ as uh, facilitated by uh, the Holy Spirit. We'll revisit that prophecy next week. But for this morning, let's just note the fact that Joseph was obedient in response to the angel's commission as wrapped up in two simple words reported in verse 24. And the words of simplicity are, did and took. Did and took. Verse 24, then Joseph being raised from sleep, did. Boy, that's a whale of a commentary on uh, a faithful life. Joseph did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Joseph did and Joseph took. He obeyed God and he took Mary unto him as wife. What a stellar example of today's offertory, trust and obey. Not quite done yet. Concerning the emphasis of this morning hour, but nonetheless, we pause at this reality of Joseph's tremendous example of a man trusting God and obeying God. Yes, he was relieved by the angel. But it is what Joseph believed, that which we can surely call an impossibility. Joseph believed an impossible thing. And yet, because it came from God, he believed God. And in the terms of Abraham, and in the terms of ancient King David, his belief, his faith in God, was accounted unto him as righteousness. And then as one who trusts God, he did and took obediently in demonstration of his faith. And then verse 25 says, And he knew her, Mary, not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Number six in our outline of seven is Joseph's highlighted celibacy. Joseph and Mary did not have marital relations physically until after the birth of the Lord Jesus. Virgin birth is such an important doctrine that God gave Joseph wisdom and strength to resist normal marital relations until after Jesus was born. The statement is absolutely clear without any possibility of contradiction. After Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary functioned as any normal married couple would. And as a result of their normal marital functionality after the birth of the Lord Jesus, Mark 6 records the names of four family brothers and unnamed sisters 
but sisters is plural. That means at least two. And so when you consider the aspect of Christ, born of the Spirit, at least two sisters and four brothers, that means that Jesus grew up in a family of seven, at minimum. And maybe there were more sisters than two. That's quite a tribe in which the Lord Jesus would be raised. But it underscores not only Joseph's and Mary normalcy of marital functionality beyond the birth of Christ, but it uniquely puts a bright light on Joseph's highlighted celibacy until after the birth of the Lord Jesus. That is a very wonderful commendation to be sure. And then number seven, Joseph's heartfelt courage. The last thing we read in this chapter is Matthew's statement, and he, Joseph, called his name, the baby's name, Jesus. I say courage because it is clear in the New Testament Gospels that most of Joseph's acquaintances believed Mary had been unfaithful and that poor Joe had been duped. Or some believed that Mary and Joe had violated their pledge during betrothal. Nonetheless, the man that would be the stepdad to Jesus would know from personal experience what it was like to bear stinging injustices while being, in fact, just. God prepared Joseph not only to be a man of truth and grace for the upbringing of him who was full of it, truth and grace, but God uniquely prepared Joseph to be an example, an excellent example, for God's own son of one who bore the sting of verbal injustices while in being, in fact, a righteous man. There were many, many accusations. And none of them true. And Joseph lived that way as an adult till he died. And Mary lived that way as an adult till she, she died. It's a phenomenal thing to think about the uniqueness of God's unique preparation of that man and the role that he would fulfill as just, we would say, a normal dad, a normal believing dad being responsible for the boy, Christ. How would you like to have Christ, the boy, in your home? What kind of conviction would it bring to your own soul to have the Savior fed at your table? Not just the Savior of the world out there, but your Savior. I remind you that Mary and Joseph needed the Lord's saving too. 
He died for their sins. As surely he died for mine and yours. Now there are two practical tracks of application of this as we think upon it this morning. First, Joseph is a man's man living in obedience to God. As such, he's a good example. He's a marvelous model for the men of this church and for any man that would seek to honor God in his life. But secondly, and most importantly, is that we all get to see in the context of this passage of Scripture how it was that God, the Son, became a man. We see again why God, the Son, became a man. That he might save people from the curse and penalty of their own sins. The problem of mankind is sin. The solution is Jesus the Christ. That's why we talk about Christ. That's why we fascinate and preach and teach and explain and cajole and encourage concerning Christ. For there is no other name given among men whereby we can be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Father, this morning we're thankful for further insights in thy word concerning our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And it is our distinctive prayer that Christ would be honored in our midst, that there would be a boldness in our understanding concerning the blessedness of what you've done for us, that there would be a, an honor for the Savior in the life of this church, that we would be serious about not only our faith, but about our faithfulness. That we would be people who walk in the light of the word of God and expect from that word further light to walk in wisdom and truth. That we would wait upon you for direction in life. That we would depend upon your word for light. That we would indeed expect, because of the endowment of thy Holy Spirit, to have a sense of victory in this life, here and now, even this side of heaven. And that we would uniquely tune our ears and our hearts to listening to you, our God, concerning life and living now and forevermore. Lord, help us as we end this hour and seek to bring proper glory to your Son, our Savior. For we do pray in his blessed name and for his blessed sake. Amen.